Hi, welcome to Jibu, a podcast founded on the idea of just be you. By building self-awareness and creating space to channel your own wisdom and inspiration, an authentic life free from the anxieties and expectations of our modern world is yours to live. Jibu, just be you. This is your host, Omid, and today I am joined by coach, speaker, philosopher, and world traveler, Ryan Pa, who joins me to discuss the notion of fear, a perspective on what is natural, and how this is shaping humanity and our journey ahead. Fear, ego, pride, pride, shame, shame, humility, humility. Or humiliation. Humiliation. There's a difference. Of all those characteristics, is there a kind of matching pattern to like the same fear of like climbing a mountain, the more life or death kind of fear that you would more commonly associate with the amygdala? So one answer that comes to mind is through the lens of evolutionary psychology. And what I love about what I learned through studying evolutionary psychology is that it provides uh, a lens if you will, to look at all human activity and to ask ourselves, why might we have evolved to experience these kinds of emotions or behave this way? And so, you know, I don't know if this is 100% accurate or not, but if we take that view, then the rock climber who experiences fear on the ledge has a fear of death, which is natural. We evolved to fear death because we want to survive. Now, if you take this guy, Alex, who's experiencing high levels of anxiety in the modern world and a lot of shame and not a lot of confidence, you can ask the question, is there any correlation to the fear of a rock climber and the fear and anxiety he's feeling? And I think the answer is yes. I think a lot of the modern day anxieties that people face are also tied to survival. They fear death ultimately. And I gave an example of someone that I have worked with in the past in a coaching capacity who had a very strong fear of having to stand up in front of executives and present an executive briefing. And there's a lot of anxiety tied to that. And what if I fail? What if these executives don't think very highly of me? And I do think that psychologically, that is also a fear of, of death. And if we try to expound on that and trace our roots back to the hunter and gatherer days when we lived in small tribes, I think that you can make a case that being accepted and respected by your tribe was life or death. And that if you were outcasted from your tribe, I think hypoth hypothetically that could have put your life truly at risk. I mean, if, if you're wandering around the Savannah Desert all by yourself and you don't have the support and resources of a tribe, you're in big trouble. And so over tens of thousands of years, we've been wired to correlate social acceptance with survival. And that is why I think one case that you can make for the modern day anxieties that we feel at work or how we're gonna be viewed or our social media profiles. We wanna make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. 
it's not all, you know, surface shallow level reasons. I do think there is some deep hard wiring there that we correlate to survival, which is a mistake because we know that in the case of giving an executive briefing in front of a leadership team, their response to you, even if it's, if you completely fall on your face and they give you the worst possible reviews, there's really 0% chance, I think it's safe to say that, that your life is gonna be in danger as a result of that. And so our external modern world now, we still have the same inner hardware or software, I should say, but the external environment is now so different. So one way I like to think about this problem is our software no longer matches our hardware. The world we live in has evolved and changed so much faster than our inner wiring. So we're triggered all the time. We feel like our life is being threatened. We feel like, you know, road rage is a great example. Someone cuts us off. Our body reacts as if it's life or death. And usually it's not. If someone criticizes us, if our boss sits us down and gives us in that moment, oftentimes our body will react as if our life is being threatened, like in the exact same way, but it's not being threatened. So part of, I have found, you know, the power of practices like meditation and mindfulness is to start to buffer our wiring. Love it. And I, and I resonate with it. Um, and I feel that. And I'm recalling a time where I was speaking with my manager and she was telling me that my job is changing and I didn't have a say in it. I didn't have, you know, any proactive kind of stance on it. So I felt in a very reactive position, which I remember put me in, a, in quite the emotional state mm -hmm. in which I also responded in a pretty emotional manner down the line. And I think now in hindsight, you know, I felt like I was being attacked. Like it was like my life, even though it was just my work life, that it was being taken from me in a way. Ryan, you, you, you talked about mindfulness and I, I see technology coming out that's attempting to help kind of like habitualize mindfulness and meditation. You see Sam Harris's amazing app, you mm. see Calm, Headspace. Moving forward, what do you think is the role of technology to kind of democratize this access to it? Mm -hmm. well, I think my first thought is you can go the all the way, so to speak, from a tech perspective, and you can take a look at what um, Elon Musk is doing with his company Neuralink. And you can start to ask the question, will we start to tinker with our software in an objective way? And, and I think it's hard to imagine that that doesn't happen at some point, right? So, And by software, you're referring to our own internal operating system. Correct, yes. You know, a small hole is made in the, in the skull and a chip is placed onto the brain that connects with the neurons that changes literally the wiring to some degree. I mean, and there's a lot of this that's already happening and, and so, and I hear that the use case right now is for people who have like dementia or that's right. Alzheimer's, yeah, epilepsy. But how long does that last before we look at it from an enhancement perspective? Yeah, it's only a matter of time. So, 
when we talk about the iPhone and apps, that's present day tech, but very quickly, man, that stuff is going to feel analog. And I think that's, you know, in the next 10 years, things are going to get very weird well, in that regard. I mean, you know, already the ability to design babies, to choose personalities. I don't think it's too long before we can really start to tinker with our actual. So, so you know, there could be ways that that um, obviously is helpful as it relates to, to mindfulness and handling the responses of the amygdala, some of those systems. Yeah, I think it gets really interesting when you look at it from an ethics standpoint. You know, there's all the, there's the crazy ethics side of that, right? Like when you're like really genetically engineering life, but on a light perspective, like what if it's, you know, genetically engineering someone to not have hair loss or to not have a certain recessive trait that puts someone at a disadvantage in normal day-to-day life, mm-hmm. right? And what if we could make that link with depression or with early onset Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. What is the ethical conversation around doing that genetic modification for mental health or, or just things that are stigmatized in society that put people at a disadvantage and impact their mental health? Well, I think we've already been doing it, right? Think about the first time that we gave someone an artificial heart. (laughs) Think about the first time that we replaced someone's knee entirely Mm. with metal Mm. and carbon. Mm. You know, think about LASIK. So, So we're already, it's not like we're at zero and we're having a conversation about taking this big step. We've taken a lot of steps already in that direction. And I think you could argue that we are already cyborgs in a sense, because we have this computer or iPhone in our hand or in our pockets at all times. It's an interface that we can open and access essentially all of the knowledge in the world. And so we are already part tech, part human. I think the real question that you're posing here is the interesting thing that we are as a civilization going to be deciding in the near future is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human when 25% of your body, let's say, has been replaced with machinery and 5% of your neurons? Right. Uh, At what point are we no longer human? And I think our definition of our species will evolve, which is very scary, obviously, for a lot of people. And this concept of being post-human is always interesting, right? Like, I think this is like a post-human perspective of life. But let's rewind. What if those changes are being made at birth or before birth, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it's an interesting idea what's natural and what's not. I mean, in, in one sense, we can say that the iPhone is not natural. But, but actually it is. It's made from minerals and metals that all came from the earth. Mm. You could look at, we're sitting in the Venetian. Yeah. So you could say the Venetian is not as natural as the Amazon forest. Mm-hmm. And at face value, it seems like that's just an obvious, yeah, I mean, the Amazon is much more natural. But when you zoom in, where, I mean, where do you draw the line? Everything in this world is made from the elements of this world. So if we start tinkering 
with our definition of humanity today, does that make us less natural or are we simply using nature to change nature? Yeah. This constant yearning and itch for growth. This idea of, hey, let's grow and let's advance, that's the natural component of, of human beings in many ways. And it's so commonly reinforced by society and culture that when you apply that lens, it's hard to say that anything isn't natural because it's coming from this first principles perspective of humans just trying to be human mm -hmm. and continue advancing. I think that's very well said. You know, I think it was Joe Rogan who made this really interesting comment about our wiring and what you said about it almost seems inherent in us to want to grow, whether it's if it's a business, we want to grow the business. If it's me as a person, I want to grow as a person. There's a sense of almost inherent program desire to grow. And you see that in nature as well. Uh, a plant wants to grow, a tree wants to grow. The comment that Joe Rogan made was, it seems like we are almost programmed to build this next iteration of our species. We'll call it the AI, human slash AI or AI entity. It, it almost seems as like there's nothing that can stop us from building that. We're just running towards it. Right. Almost unconsciously. We right. don't know why, but we just, we have to keep building it. We have to keep building it. We have to keep building it. Right. And I, and I thought that that was just a very fun concept to play with mm. that it's almost as if there's a, a piece of our HTML code that just is determined to see us build the next iteration of our species. Yeah. And it's interesting. We have the, you know, the antitrust hearing with the big tech companies. And I find it interesting how it's also human to want to get in our own way of doing that for all the good reasons, right? There are so many good reasons to get in the way of that actually happening, but it still seems inevitable. And so what is the role when we try to slow down those who are positioned to do it the most effectively, mm -hmm. the most efficiently, you know, there's, there's that other side of the coin where humans are like, let's slow it the fuck down. It's like getting behind the seat of, the seat of a Ferrari, isn't it? And never having driven a Ferrari, because none of us have been where we're going. Right. And you get behind the wheel, and you just hit the gas a little bit, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I could crash this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's some serious horsepower under the hood. And so I think that is perhaps a relevant metaphor for when you look at big tech. I mean, that's, those are the Ferraris of our civilization right now. And I think there's some fear because there's so much horsepower under the engine there. And we want to know who's behind the wheel because right. we're in the passenger seat right. or we're in the back seat. And, and are there airbags back here? I don't know. Are there seatbelts in this car? I don't know. But I'm a little uncomfortable with the speed. And when you're going 220 miles an hour and you make one little mistake, the calamity is magnanimous, right? So, so 
I think because that's the environment that we're in, there's just the stakes are high, the speed is high, the horsepower is high. We just want to avoid the Ferrari wrapping around a tree. Game over. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Jabu. No need to like or subscribe to this podcast. Just be you.